KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, July 23rd. When will we see a fix for the cross-border sewage flow problem? More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego hospitals are seeing a spike in COVID-19 patients. According to the county's most recent data, 5,200 unvaccinated people have been hospitalized since January. That's compared to only 20 vaccinated people hospitalized. Dr. William Sang is a hospitalist at Kaiser Permanente San Diego. He says the new Delta variant is driving the spike in cases. The Delta variant is about 225% more transmissible because you have over a thousand times more copies of the virus in you. Efforts to build a bridge over the San Diego River in Mission Trails Regional Park took a giant step forward on Thursday. San Diego City Council member Raul Campillo announced a $1.5 million grant from the state. The bridge was planned for years, but the need became urgent after 21-year-old Max Lanai died in January while trying to cross the river. Max's father, Ben Lanai, says the bridge is what his son would have wanted. We want to really um, mark that that site and uh, have something that is a uh, a very long-term testament to his life. He says they hope to have the bridge finished in two years. Pacific Gas and Electric says they're going to start burying 10,000 miles of power lines to reduce their risk of sparking wildfires. PG&E says it appears the Dixie Fire in Butte County began when a tree fell on one of its lines. The utility has also been found responsible for several wildfires in the past few years, including the Camp Fire, which killed 84 people in Paradise, California. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. It probably comes as little surprise that a recent statewide water quality report found San Diego's South Bay has two of the state's most polluted beaches. And those two beaches, it's the ones fouled by cross-border sewage flows from Mexico. Now, there is federal help set aside for fixing the problem, but that fix isn't coming right away. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more. It was a bright morning at the Chula Vista Bayside Park when local politicians delivered good news early in 2020. Good morning, everybody. Congressman Mike Levin took the mic. We have successfully secured $300 million under the Border Water Infrastructure Program to aggressively address the cross-border pollution from the Tijuana River Valley. Billions of gallons of sewage-tainted water had been flowing into the United States for months, and locals were hopeful with the news because signs warning of polluted ocean water go up in Imperial Beach even in the normally dry summer months. But that optimistic news was announced nearly 18 months ago. Three of the politicians present, Kevin Faulkner, Susan Davis, and Greg Cox, no longer hold public office. 
and the Environmental Protection Agency has yet to decide how to spend that $300 million. In August, we hope to identify the preferred project alternatives. Tomas Torres is the director of the Water Division in the EPA Region 9 office. Once we do that, they will undergo a pretty comprehensive environmental analysis. San Diego County officials have identified 27 possible projects to control the flows. The largest is a new sewage treatment plant capable of treating 163 million gallons of tainted water a day. This would be in the U.S. It would capture these flows and we're looking at various treatment capacity options of what size that plant should be to provide the most protection at the optimum cost benefit. Um, As you probably know, infrastructure in the U.S. is very costly. A plant would cost more than $300 million that's set aside in the EPA's budget, requiring local officials to find more money. And some of that $300 million in federal money could end up paying for some projects in Mexico. We're analyzing projects that would make improvements uh, to Tijuana's wastewater conveyance system in order to reduce uh, sewage from entering the Tijuana River in the first place. That has roiled some San Diego clean water advocates who fear that money spent south of the border is ineffective. They want the projects built on the U.S. side. The contamination issue is nothing new to San Diego County District 1 Supervisor Nora Vargas. She's worked to fix the problem for decades. The Tijuana River Valley contamination is not a San Diego District 1 issue. And it's not a Tijuana issue. This is a global, international issue that we need to address together. And it's going to take all of us um, coming together. Vargas convinced the Board of Supervisors to declare the situation in the Tijuana River Valley a public health crisis. The first time it's been considered more than an environmental issue. I actually feel that things are starting to move forward. But Vargas also acknowledges that the problem won't be fixed by the end of this year or even next. EPA officials expect to unveil their preferred alternatives next month. And the EPA's Tomas Torres says that will start the clock on mandated environmental reviews, meaning there will be no shovels in the ground anytime soon. Even though it it is a relatively lengthy process, we've been able to cut that down to less than half the time that normally takes. That won't help this summer next summer, or even the summer after that. Imperial Beach Mayor Serge Dedina says short-term relief may come from state, federal, and local officials who are working on some smaller projects in the region, or relief could come elsewhere. You know, at this point, it all depends on Mexico. If Mexico really wants to respect the ocean uh, and, and not dump sewage along the beach, we'll have a good summer. But if they continue to do what they do, which is dump sewage everywhere on the Tijuana River as well as along the beach, then, you know, it it could be an unhappy summer for us. Dedina is hopeful about the EPA's movement. But if the agency's efforts stall, local municipalities and clean water groups could revive federal lawsuits seeking to force the government to clean up the problem. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. Former San Diego trustee Ty Humes wants his seat back, but voters will have to look past a checkered history. iNewsource investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. Before he was recalled, Ty Humes' resume was so impressive that it got him a seat on the San Diego school board. But iNewsource found Humes held a fundraiser that left the Del Mar Schools Education Foundation with unpaid bills. 
The nonprofit never saw any proceeds, and vendors are still owed nearly $30,000. Humes blames a sponsor who he says never paid up. So I did not obviously walk away from it. That's not my personality or how I operate. San Diego's special election is in November. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. The issue of immigration brought demonstrators to Congressman Daryl Issa's office on Thursday. Community members in San Marcos rallied to deliver a message to the congressional representative. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us more. Members of the organization Justice Overcoming Boundaries organized a rally outside of Daryl Issa's San Marcos District office Tuesday afternoon. They want Mr. Issa to address immigration in his district. The members say immigrants are just as American as apple pie and rice and beans. When they approached his office, the door was locked and there was no response. Over the phone, an intern said Mr. Issa and his chief of staff were both in Washington, D.C. Estela de los Rios is with the organization. The constituents that are here, we have to hold them accountable. And immigration is an issue that he needs to address. And we're going to keep coming back until he listens. We did reach out to Mr. Ice's office for a statement, but none was provided. And that was Tanya Thorne reporting from San Marcos. San Diego's former mayor, now Republican recall candidate Kevin Faulkner, says he helped reduce homelessness in San Diego by double digits when he was the city's mayor and that he would tackle California's homeless problem head on as governor. Cap Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols examined Faulkner's accomplishments as mayor in this week's Can You Handle the Truth segment. He spoke with anchor Randall White. Chris, Kevin Faulkner has made his record on homelessness a central part of his run for governor. What did he accomplish on this topic? Faulkner was San Diego's mayor from 2014 to 2020. And Randall, he can point to some achievements, such as opening new shelters for up to a thousand people, expanding safe lots where people who live in their cars can legally park, and also increasing funding for homeless initiatives. But advocates for homeless people, along with some political observers, have criticized Faulkner for being a reluctant leader on these issues. They say he really only made homelessness a top priority in 2017. That's when a hepatitis A outbreak spread across San Diego's homeless population, leaving hundreds sick and killing 20 people. Yeah, that's right. That was a horrific outbreak and made national headlines. Let's listen to what Faulkner says he accomplished. Here he is during a June interview with Fox LA in Los Angeles. We have to get people off the sidewalks. As mayor of San Diego, I did not allow tent encampments in San Diego. We were the only big city where we actually reduced homelessness by double digits. Chris, let's start by fact-checking Faulkner's claim that he did not allow tent encampments in San Diego. Is that correct? That statement is generally correct, but it does need some context. Faulkner was aggressive in using law enforcement to clear encampments, especially in downtown San Diego. That enforcement was combined with efforts by the police to connect people with shelters. But again, observers point out that Faulkner only made this a priority after the hepatitis A outbreak, and they describe this approach as a short-term fix. Here's San Diego Mesa College political science professor Carl Luna. 
at a certain point, the, the mayor took action to try to clear the tent encampments that you saw all over sidewalks and freeway on ramps across uh, downtown San Diego in particular. But there were tent encampments when he became mayor. There were tent encampments during the time he was mayor, and there were pockets of them that existed even afterwards. So he didn't get rid of all of them and, and didn't get rid of them permanently because they're now back. This effort did result in more people going to shelters, but advocates say it also moved many homeless people into neighborhoods outside the downtown, which separated them from services and made it harder to count them during annual surveys. Speaking of homeless surveys, Faulkner also made the claim that San Diego saw a double-digit reduction in homelessness, the only big city to do that. Is he right about that? Faulkner is basing this statement on San Diego's most recent point in time count, comparing homelessness in early 2020 to the year before. The statistic can be uh, a little misleading. And that is John Brady. He's a board member on the nonprofit that conducts the San Diego survey. The true statistic is that the mayor under his leadership saw a 12% reduction in unsheltered homelessness. It wasn't a reduction in total homelessness. Brady also says there were some changes in how the homeless count was conducted in the years leading up to 2020 based on guidance from the federal government. These changes led to a more limited count of homeless individuals. And when the report came out that Faulkner is citing, Brady says he advised the public not to compare the results to past homeless counts. And that was CAP Radio's PolitiFact California reporter, Chris Nichols. You heard him speaking with anchor Randall White. And just ahead on the podcast, a look at the San Diego local arts events coming up in our weekend preview. That's next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. If you have an open weekend and you're thinking want to look into the local art scene, KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans is here with her weekend preview. Here's Julia. First up is the La Jolla Playhouse's new play project, their DNA New Work series. It just kicked off this week, and they're doing readings of two plays this weekend on site at the Playhouse. The works are Sumo by Lisa Sanayadring. Sumo is set in a sumo wrestling training center and follows six men who've committed to this tradition. 
And there's All the Men Who Frightened Me by Noah Diaz. After Ty, the main character's wife, finds out she can't get pregnant, Ty decides to wean himself off his testosterone to carry the baby himself. Many of the characters in this story are actually in the forms of hauntings. These are readings rather than full productions, which is a nice intimate baby step back into live performances. And it's a great way to get insight into the playwriting process and catch some emerging playwrights and their work. All the Men Who Frightened Me runs Friday at 7.30 and Saturday at 2. And Sumo runs Saturday at 7.30. These are free at the La Jolla Playhouse and you can reserve a spot in advance. City Ballet is back on stage with two performances of On the Move. These are new works of choreography by their own Jeffrey Gonzalez. One is called Unbroken and the other Within the Hourglass Desert. These works were selected because of how they represent the resilience and also the wobbliness of time we all found during the pandemic. You can catch these pieces at the Horton Grand Theater. That's Friday and Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. And finally, I have two picks for live music this weekend. First is the Color 49's record release party tonight at the Casbah. Today is the launch of a new music video that the band worked on with Tijuana artist Hugo Crossweight who I profiled this week. The song, What Would I Know, is about borders and love, and Crossway's stop-motion animation of his black and white improvisational drawing is a perfect fit. Here's artist Hugo Crossway discussing the project. So just by reading the lyrics immediately, I, you know, I could already see it in the video, you know, I could see the imagery that I wanted, you know, uh, this idea of, um, of how, um, you know, in a way, love is interrupted by this border and then love always triumphs over the border but then the border comes back and so that it's, it's this idea of, of this, this constant struggle of things trying to come together and then being torn apart by this very geometric element of, of a line of a border. They'll be projecting his work at the Casbah tonight. Carrie Feller and Rosa Rossa will also perform alongside The Color 49. And on Saturday night, San Diego-based indie pop artist Juliana Zaccario plays at Soda Bar. We featured one of Zaccario's songs, Becky, in our recent Five Songs to Discover in San Diego in July roundup. But one of the opening acts is Caroline Kingsbury from LA. Covering her music this week just brought me right back to that sort of magic of live music, the way we could discover new stuff and opening acts. I'll leave you with a clip of Fall in Love, which is a track from Kingsbury's latest album. 
For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for my weekly arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend, everyone. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.